0: Welcome to another episode of the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinis. I'm here with Megan Ballinger, as always, former Blue Jay. um, Former Blue Jay great turned uh, commentator, time commentator. Um, We are going to break down Creighton's opening weekend of Big East play. The Jays swept Georgetown and Villanova this weekend. And I feel like we nailed the... Um, the analysis that it was going to be a get right weekend for the Jays, uh, Georgetown and Villanova didn't provide a whole lot of resistance. I don't think either any uh, neither of them got to twenty in any set, any of the six sets. So. And Georgetown didn't even make it to. I think their high was thirteen. So, yeah, it was a wipeout weekend for the Jays. So a get right weekend, we called it. That's when the the someone who's not on your level just shows up in the gym and you just got to wax them and get it over with, drum free. The Jays did that, so credit to them for showing up, doing their business. Um no one got hurt, uh didn't go five, you know, just handled it, handled it, handled it easy. Um yeah, the Jays out hit 374 to 061 in that match, and then they hit Villanova 320 to 090 to t- today, which is when we're recording this. And that's actually six straight uh big east matches for Creighton that they've held their opponent below 100 hitting. So going back all the way to Marquette and DePaul in the big East tournament last year and then the final two matches of the regular season as well. So nice little streak the Jays are on there from a defensive standpoint. Um yeah, Megan. So uh just give me some of your on top of mind today. What, what in terms of what you saw this weekend from the Jays, what do you what did you like? What did what did you not like? What are you looking forward to?
1: um Georgetown I mean kind of you alluded to it didn't provide much of a challenge I would say Mm -hmm. um the most challenging part I thought for Creighton was just like themselves trying to switch everyone in and out of rotations um and everything and I thought I was impressive I didn't think they really had any drop off I mean I think the scores reflect that as well they you know they didn't get more than 13 points and that was the first set when they kind of had their starting lineup in there for a good good portion of that start and then they continue to switch things up in the, you know, later part of that first set and second and third set. And I thought everybody came in and did a really good job. Um, so that was impressive. I feel like those types of games are always a good, like confidence boost, I would say, because I mean, Mm -hmm. you just hammered a team, right. And everyone gets to play. So everybody gets that on court experience at home, um, which is really beneficial, you know, down the road if somebody has to kind of pop in, um, at a different time that maybe they're not expecting to play. Um, so I think from that standpoint, that was a good match for like those sorts of things just to kind of work on their side of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today, Villanova, I thought, um, provided a little bit more firepower coming out of them. So um, a little bit more of a challenge, but, you know, they handled them pretty easily as well. Um, kind of got their block, um, block working a little bit more than they had in previous matches, I thought. Um, and that's kind of reflected in the stats, too. Um, but yeah, as far as the whole weekend goes, I think a good outing and like you said, not too much um, wear and tear on your body playing three sets and especially that first night, kind of getting everybody involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about a few teams uh, from the weekend. Blocking's gonna be one of them. Serving's gonna be another. Um, there was a few top performers as well. Um, one that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but I want to come. I want to circle back real quick to what you said about the Georgetown match, getting everybody in. And also it's not just getting everybody in, but the level didn't drop off, which I think was really I think first of all it's unusual. Second, it's it just bodes well for everybody's confidence that played in that match. I think when you look at that, normally in that situation, you know, you kind of get up on a team and if you're in that reserve role that you kind of, you know, have grown accustomed to throughout the non con and you know, the first month or so of the season, you might not always be ready to go. When your number's called in the middle of a match. So I think it's a credit to everybody that they kind of showed up ready to go. Um, You don't really know how things are, you know, you you think as a player, you probably understand like when you're scouting and everything that Georgetown probably isn't going to beat you, right? So you're thinking, all right, you know, if we do what we do, it should be a sweep. We should handle business. But if, you know, you just never know how people are going to come out, especially when you're, when you're in Creighton's position of always being that targeted team, you know, the team to beat every year in the Big East, teams bring their A game and then all of a sudden you just find yourself in a dogfight. So even if you sweep a team, it's not necessarily going to be an easy night. It could be a 25-20 situation or you know, go into end game where both teams are kind of making big plays. Um, but for those all three of those sets to get out of hand and for Kirsten uh to go to a bench and then for everybody off the bench to be ready when their number was called. I think it's, first of all, it's impressive. Second, it kind of bodes well just to give everybody a confidence boost in the gym. So I think it's going to elevate everything in the gym on Monday. I think everyone's going to play with a little bit more swagger, um, you know, whether you're on scout or whether you're on that starting six. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's the hard part for people that maybe don't play as much. Um, sometimes it's hard to, like, buy in, right? Because you're like, well, I wish I was, like, over there playing. Um, so I think that's the hard part of being on a team. Um, and then down the road, it's like you don't know if somebody goes down and gets injured and you're flipping your lineups and then all of a sudden you're going to be playing a really big role. Um, so, yeah, no matter if people came in and played a small role or played more of, like, a, a larger role than probably, like, what they're accustomed thought, everybody did a really good job um yeah I think it was just impressive to see the level not drop off for three three sets um because even sometimes it'll be you know the third set of a game and all of a sudden you know Creighton is at like 18 or 20 points and then they'll start switching people in and then teams go on runs against them so I mean you would see I remember times like as a player being like oh like you know it's great that we're gonna step these people in like they deserve to get in but at the same time it just like prolongs the match where you're like we could have finished this a while ago you know so as great as it is for your team, I think um, sometimes it can be a little bit annoying um, as a player, but for this, I think it was a really good choice for everybody um, on the team and everybody that got a chance to get in.
0: Yeah, for sure. There was a few things, too, that were interesting from that Georgetown match. I mean, aside from the fact that you said, you know, Creighton, it, it they just it was lopsided every, all three games. Um, a couple things stood out. One is uh, Jazz Schmidt got some setter reps, and I think that's you know Kendra's kind of like a warrior out there right she does everything and you don't ever expect to have her off the floor but that being said there are those circumstances where and and, and kirsten mentioned it in the post game um you just never know what's going to happen you know someone's sick one night someone's you know rolls an ankle i mean you <laughs> or, this is a great example i mean lydia Dimke rolled her ankle uh in Wichita and the setter against Georgetown on Friday was Megan Ballinger. So like middle blocker to right side to setter, you just never know what's going to happen. So I think it's a, I think it was a big deal although it wasn't maybe it didn't happen during you know maybe Georgetown wasn't like maybe they were checked out at that point. Maybe Georgetown wasn't taking uh that seriously at that point because the match was over. But I think it's I think it was it was good for Jazz to get some live in match setter reps just in case you know that way if knock on wood something does happen to Kendra down the line that's not you know it won't when Kirsten has to call her number and come in and get those reps in she won't be shook you know she'll be ready for that
1: yeah I mean I agree I think anything could happen like you could get a concussion you know you could be sick like there's just so many variables that kind of play into it and of course you hope you know you never have to not dress for a match but Mm -hmm. over a four-year or five-year span it's not maybe realistic um all the time that you won't be available for every single match but yeah like you said I think in that in that stage and um just at home and to kind of get reps with people in a live game has a little bit different of a feel obviously than like practice does because I'm sure she's taking a lot of reps in practice but yeah to actually be out there and you're the captain of the floor um out there against an opponent, I think is a really good experience. Um, if she needs to pull it out um down the road or, you know, they run out of subs or something crazy happens and you know, yeah, and then she yeah. has that. So things are just a lot of things and it's good to be over prepared and to have players that can play multiple positions, I think, is mm-hmm. also really important because, you know, like you said, I set a match, which I would have never have thought that would happen. But it was a great experience and it went well. So yeah, I think you just always gotta be ready.
0: For sure. I think from that aspect, I think the Georgetown match was maybe better for Creighton than I thought it could have been going in. Because I think you just assume that with a team like that, there's not a whole lot to gain from Creighton's side of things. And I was wrong about that. because so I think Creighton gained a lot from that match just because of all the reps they got for everybody that doesn't normally get some. And, uh, you know, the top end players, the ones who are normally out there played well across the board, I think. You know, Kiana hit well. Healy uh, hit well, Ava hit well, uh, Ellie was great from the service line, everybody was really great from the service line that night, but Ellie especially I think, you know, it was a it was when you just look at the whole picture I think Creighton got a lot out of that more than you normally would for a match like that where it's just like a you know, you have an RPI killer in your gym and you just gotta make sure you handle business I think it was a little bit more than that, so I was surprised, but I think it's good for them more Yeah, I agree
1: Yeah, totally, I think the hard part about matches like that, where you know, like a team probably isn't that strong, I mm-hmm. think, is that you have to focus on your side of the net that much more. So I think just like making your pass a little bit better, you know, a little bit more on the net. So we have you, so you have three true hitter options, or you can get Kendra a dump more easily. Like it's those little like nitpicky things. It's so, like mm-hmm. in matches like that, I really feel like, especially when you're getting a lot of free balls, like Georgetown was out of sorts a lot of times. So they're throwing over some like junk balls, like random, just. Free balls and that sort of thing. I think those are the balls where Crane's like, okay, we need to be as clean as we can on this pass and you know this set and then this attack and just score right away, and not like get into rallies with, with the team like Georgetown because they were capable of putting that ball down.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you in the gym for that one?
1: No, I wasn't. I watched it on. Okay. Of
0: oh, it's okay. Uh, so f- there was one play that I think is going to be. I mean, wh- where Kendra had to dive back. To mm-hmm. zone like zone one or whatever for that yeah. one handed dig, and it was like Keeley just killed it in transition. Like didn't, there was no second contact. It was just like up kill. That was mm-hmm. that was cra- <laughs> and the gym went nuts for that one. Like I that was as loud as I've heard it all year. Um, That was a really impressive play. So like that's what I mean. Just things that kind of get your swagger going. Like because you want to just groove out there. You want to have a drama free night. But when you're making plays like that, it's kind of easy to get into a flow. And I think everybody, that energy from plays like that just permeates through the whole team, don't you think?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's those those sorts of points where it's like she's full layout for a ball and, like, they get a great attack. Like those things you maybe didn't need to try so hard, right? Like you look at the score and you're like, well, you know, you don't need to try so hard, right? Because, I mean, we could score many points on Georgetown. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the hard part of it. And that was what was super impressive, too. I thought the pressure stayed on the whole time, no matter who came in. Um, Mm -hmm. And that urgency was there to finish the
0: game. 100%. Villanova, I mean, you know how tricky this team is, right? Uh, They've beaten Creighton several times in Big East play. Um, you could make the argument based on their success that they are a trickier matchup than Marquette is, even though you never would assume that based on the success of the programs. But for whatever reason, it is a tricky match for Creighton. Um, and I thought the Jays were pretty sharp today coming off of the you know the lopsided win where you kind of have an opportunity to, as an athlete, to kind of take a deep breath and rest on your laurels a little bit and maybe not come in with your A game. You know, Sunday afternoon, Um, I just didn't think I saw that from Creighton today. I don't, I don't know if they were as clean from start to finish as they were against Georgetown. But I also think Villanova is a little bit better than Georgetown in the first place, so maybe that's maybe that has more to do with the opponent than how Creighton played from match to match. But I think just putting away Villanova in the fashion that they did, considering the history between the two teams and how much emotion is usually, you know, sparked up in that match. Um, I thought that was a pretty good pretty good Sunday for the Jays, too, just to, you know, like I said, handle business in a drama-free way, get players some some confidence and move on to next week.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, I thought Villanova maybe got better as the match went on, and then for they sure. kind of fell apart right at the end in the third Didn't set. They, it feel I thought,
0: it felt like they settled in, like, after, like, that first run. Like, they settled in a little bit after that, yeah. Didn't yeah,
1: there. so I thought their level – I mean, I thought they raised their level a little bit, and I thought, like, their setter was – said slides that looked it was a great approach from their middle and like those sorts of things where I was like oh like that was you know a really good attack and that sort of thing which I just didn't see really in the first side I didn't think as much mm-hmm. um so yeah I thought they got better but then I thought Crane handled it um pretty well and then obviously I think you know they just terminated and spread out their offense pretty well I thought today as well
0: mm, for sure we'll close uh the deal with some individual performances and analyze those but I want to John two things that one we talked about last week and then one that i think um, will be a theme maybe going forward from what we've seen so far that we didn't talk about last week uh so last year last week we talked a lot about scoring runs right that was obviously a concern coming out of the k-state and rice match was uh you know is Peyton giving up too many scoring runs we, we kind of ventured back and forth about what, what what's a good number you know and um, what types of runs are they giving up? How big are those runs? Is it just 3-0 or are they are they are you finding moments where they lose kind of focus and get a little high error and go up six points in a row or five out of six and kind of lose lose their grip on the set, if you will. Um, and I know Georgetown and Villanova aren't Rice and K State, so it's not quite apples to apples. But you can only play who you, on, you can, who you only you only play who you play. So you have to execute when you're out there. And in terms of correcting that or making strides in limiting scoring runs, Creighton nailed this first test because Georgetown had seven opportunities on Friday to go on a scoring run. And for the people that didn't listen to the last episode, we you know Creighton defines that as three zero or more, so three consecutive points or more is what they d- define the scoring run. So they want to go on them and they want to limit them. Um, Georgetown had seven opportunities on Friday. They only went on two, so that's you know five out of seven times Creighton siding out on that third um, or second serve, I guess it would be that second serve Creighton siding out today against Villanova. It was even it was much better than that. Even they Villanova only had um, one scoring run out of twelve opportunities. So overall, on the weekend, Creighton gave up three scoring runs out of nineteen opportunities, and on their side of the net, Creighton went on twenty-eight. So I know that's reflected in the score, but that's also just shows you that they locked in on something that they felt was like a weakness, something that was hurting them, and they corrected it. At least in the short term, I know there's more matches to come and it still has to be a point of emphasis because it's going to matter down the line. But when you – I just think it, it kind of shows the level of this team right here that they're able to key in on something and correct it. To that degree, I mean, 28 scoring runs for yourself – three for two opponents between the two of them that's uh that to me is a big jump forward from what they were dealing with in the, in the last couple of weeks
1: yeah i think that's that's impressive i'd be interested to know like how many times that their opponent made an error you know and like bailed them out versus mm-hmm. how many times like crane went and got a kill to stop that run yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know that. Um, but that's obviously a little bit harder to track. Um, but I was yeah, thinking I think- about
0: that halfway through the Villanova match because I was thinking about talking about this with you, and I was like, "She's probably gonna want to know how many times Creighton put the ball down versus how many times <laughs> Villanova sailed it to the student section." So you know what I, I, I am. Mean,
1: you know what I, I'm gonna ask. So. <laughs> I know,
0: my bad, but yeah, but that's Villanova, jo- Georgetown only had 12 errors on Friday, so they weren't very high error at all on uh, 98 huh. screens. So I mean. They hit 061 on 98 swings, but only 12 of those were errors. And I think Creighton only had three blocks. So they had nine unforced errors all night on 98 swings. So it wasn't like...
1: Not terrible, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sound, so from that aspect, we can at least assume that Creighton was earning their way out of those situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does it show you anything in terms of... Sorry, I got we got off track there. Does it show you anything in terms of what Creighton was able to or just the team itself focusing on a weakness and and, and correcting it in a short span like that, even though Georgetown and Villanova aren't up to Rice and Kansas State's level kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think these were good teams to obviously be able to like flip the switch as they say, and like correct it automatically because you're just the level of the opponent isn't as strong as what they faced. Um, But I mean, I think only good things can happen and, if you have that urgency to, you know, next point, like we need to score on this point, I think that'll carry forward no matter mm-hmm. who your opponent is. So when you're playing the Marquette and maybe you face Villanova, I feel like Villanova plays better at home usually in mm-hmm. just my experience. So when you're facing Villanova at, at their place now, it's like, okay, let's put this into action. We need to, we need to limit, you know, their runs and we just need to get, get on each point and just push, push, push and have that urgency to finish.
0: For sure. I think you, I don't know. I, I just, it just felt like Creighton being cleaner was a big part of it too, right? I mean, obviously they hit really well both matches, so that helps because you're terminating. Um, it's easier to side out. And obviously, today, I think today Creighton sided out crazy well in the first set. I mean, I think they were at like around 90%. So, I mean, you're not giving Villanova a chance to breathe at that point. I It was funny because I think at Villanova's first six serves of the match, Creighton scored on. So, I mean... You talk about not being, not giving the team confidence in your own gym, or giving them belief that they can hang with you when they go back behind the line and it's coming back at them and they can't stop it. Like that's, that's basically it in a nutshell, right there. If you're scoring on the other team serves, that that frequently, it's it's pretty demoralizing. So, I, I think from Creighton's standpoint, although, you know, if we go back and watch it, we'll probably see um, situations where Creighton didn't didn't earn their way out of it. But I think for the most part this weekend, they did. Like, I think they were pretty sharp. I think they were pretty clean. I think they were really dangerous in transition this week. Um, or this weekend, excuse me. So I think there are there are positives from what they did to limit scoring runs this weekend and go on runs of their own. And I think the other thing is, too, like they were really good from the service line, and that's how you sustain those runs, too, is you get just one after the other coming in. Um and just serving with confidence, serving aggressively, and, you know, uh, putting the other team on the back foot a little bit, getting them out of system, making sure you're getting cleaner swings than they are. I think seven different – yeah, seven different players this weekend had an ace. So that's more than even your six normal people. And I think the only player who was upside down was Kiara Reinhardt, and she was at one ace and two errors. So that's not even – for a middle blocker, I mean, that's not 2016 Megan Ballinger, but – it's still pretty good for a middle blocker. So, um, <laughs> listen, we own the show. We we gotta we gotta we gotta butter it up sometimes. So, um, yeah, I just think from the standpoint of looking team wide at how well everyone was serving, that was a big part of going on runs for crate from Creighton side of things. Like you said, focusing on Creighton side of the net, the serving was a big part of them going on runs, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I thought yeah, everybody did a really good job. Like you said, seven players okay. with aces. That's not gonna happen um every weekend, I don't think. So I think that part of it was really impressive. And I mean, you just watched the Georgetown match and almost every other pass was shanked or yeah. out of system yeah. and you know, and credit to creating servers, I think also Georgetown struggled passing, but um a combination of it and that made it a little bit easier um for crane and i was a little bit surprised blocking wise that they didn't have more blocks that i thought they had a lot of time because they were so out of system to set up a really really strong block and block okay that's an
0: interesting way to think about it i didn't think about it like that but you know what i
1: mean because they're so i mean they're still out of system and a lot of i mean a lot of the second balls weren't taken by the center they were taken by someone like bump setting so you should have a lot of time to set up a really really big block and Georgetown actually out blocked pretty significantly um so that part of it was a little bit surprising for me but um yeah doing all the right things behind the service line I think in both these games um and forcing passers to have to communicate and I think it caused a little bit of chaos um in both these oh games. my so, god
0: did, Villanova like was colliding with each other today did you, did you see that how many times did that happened that was oh my gosh
1: the end of the third set their coach was about to well he did scream at them um yeah he did <laughs> but yeah he was I was even just like what are you doing <laughs>
0: I think there were multiple. There were multiple like head-on collisions with like, yeah. with, you know, passers running after a ball, not communicating, not looking at each other, just like looking at the air, and then boom, they run into it. like, oh uh-huh. my goodness, <laughs> I almost yeah. didn't even look at the where the ball look. went after that. It's like, geez, are those kids okay? Holy crap! <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was funny to me, though. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point about the blocking because that's kind of where I felt like we we should go next. Because I I went and dove into the numbers a little bit. Um, see, Megan's the brains of this operation, so I have to dig into the data to keep up. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tee this off, I'm gonna tee this up for her with some statistical context historically. Uh, because I think we both note that the blocking hasn't been up to its normal level for Creighton, and I think even Creighton is starting, I mean, from the coaching staff down, is starting to admit that they need to be a little bit more proficient in that area because it just, I mean, you get points out of it, you know. Sometimes you know when you get ace blocks, that's a that's a ball going down where you don't have to set it up or do anything with it. It's just a free point, you know. So it's an important aspect of the of the of the match that I think um, it's kind of crazy that Creighton's doing as well as they are right now with his um, with where it's at. So let's dig into where it's at. So going, I went back through all the all the conference only matches uh every season that creighton's won the big east uh regular season so going back all the way to 2014 when that started so in 2014 they were third in the big east uh they were at 2.8 blocks per set they were second in 2015 at 2.5 so i won't say every they're either way they're held there every year they're healthy over two but they were third in the big east in 2014 second in 2015. Third in 2016, fourth in 2017, third, third, first, first. The last two years, this year, um, and it's only two matches, so it is a small sample size. In fairness, but uh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, through two matches, they're averaging 1.5 blocks per set as a team. That's ninth in the Big East. Only DePaul and Villanova are lower. So obviously, not trending to where they normally are as a blocking team. And I, I feel like that's going to be a pretty important component if they want to, you know, put the ninth banner up there or the ninth year or whatever. So if, you want, if you're going to win the league, I think you have to be a good blocking team because I think you see the teams that are usually at the top of the league at the end of the year are usually the top teams in blocking. When you look at St. John's, Marquette, uh, whether it was UConn last year, like go on and on every single year, it's almost like a one-to-one in the standings in terms of where they rank in blocking versus where they finish in the, in the standings. So from that aspect, I think it's important um, more than just stating the obvious. Um, and then, historically speaking, through 13 matches, going back to the last 10 seasons, this is they're averaging 1.67 blocks per set this year through the first 13 matches. That's the lowest um, in the last 10 years. Now, the caveat to that, which doesn't have anything to do with anything, I'm just going to say it, is... It's the third year out of that 10 year stretch where they've been below two blocks per set. The first year they went to the Elite Eight with Megan. And the second time, um, they were one point away from going to the Sweet 16 and beating Minnesota in Minnesota. So I don't know. Maybe it's not the worst thing that they're under two blocks per set. I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> but the last two times they were, if they were under two mm. blocks per set through 13 matches, they did end up pretty, in a pretty good spot. So. Anyway, that's the data. Megan, um, let's get into the technical aspect of things. What's going on with Creighton's blocking right now? What do you see?
1: I mean, I feel like a lot of it is just like lining up and taking away the approach. I feel like there are times today I noticed, like I thought there could have been some bigger moves made blocking, I thought, maybe a little bit more aggressive moves, especially when people are one-on-one. I thought there were opportunities where, that blocker could have maybe been a little bit more aggressive and, you know, dive hard into that angle um, or something like that, that I thought, oh, like she, she was right there. Like I thought there was one in the middle to that Kiana. I thought that ball from the middle was hit very low, like almost on the tape and she didn't even touch it. And I was like, oh, like she should have been all over that. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think there were just times um, today, especially just like being alive at the game that I noticed. um. And then, I don't know, I mean, a lot of it's communicating um, all across the net, and I think that's a hard thing um, as well. I know when, like, I was in the middle, if I wasn't there, I'd be yelling at my pin blocker to make a big move. Um, I'm not there, and, you know, I'm not in any space, really. Um, so, I don't know, it's a lot of just communication and getting up, and I think expecting that I'm not going to get a step block, maybe some of it's mindset, too. A lot of times, if you go up in your hands – aren't um you know all the way pressed over like hard you're ready to like take that really big swing um into your hands sometimes you can get tooled you can get used you can get balls thrown off of you and mm-hmm. um tipped and that sort of thing so i think it's a combination of things it's a combination yeah. of placement i think it's a combination too of mindset um sometimes maybe blockers can go up a little bit more aggressive and really you know get their hands on that ball like i'm gonna touch this ball no matter what that sort of thing not just be be in the air right to like be yeah. intimidating but more like i'm gonna i'm gonna stuff this in this girl's face
0: yeah i think you know it, and it's tough too because like you said there there's block touches and there's quality block touches because you can go up there and you can get your hands on the ball but if you're getting tooled or like you said if they're going off high hands and sailing that thing or your back row that's not really an effective block touch right you're just kind there so i Obviously, from a technical standpoint, there's something that's not there quite yet. I just, I'm curious, like in your mind, how minuscule is the difference, like between getting quality block touches, getting ace blocks, versus, oh wow, there's like a long way to go here. Like, how close do you think Creighton is to, I mean, when you look at the numbers, it's not like they're way off, you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh man, that's not even close. Like, there are a couple good matches away from bumping this thing up back to normal range. Um, So I guess from, from a technical standpoint, how close do you think it is? Like, do you feel like it's going to come or do you feel like they've got um, some technical issues that might take a little bit longer to iron out?
1: I mean, I think they have the athleticism and I think their players are smart, you know, so I I think a lot of it maybe is just getting reps and maybe it's that mindset that I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to stuff this ball, you know, like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's something where they need to go up and be like, I'm going to line up on and take this girl's favorite shot away you know, and make them play around you. And I think, I mean, a lot of it with blocking is funneling to defense. I know we've talked about that a lot, but at the same time, if a ball is like right on the net, like I thought Villanova had one to the right side that was set basically like on the net. Um, and the, our left pin blocker was out there and she just like had her hands up, but just was not like, she should be clobbering that ball, you know, like yes, those right. sorts of things where I was like, you should have your hands almost touching that ball. Cause it's right on the net. Like it, you know, that mm-hmm. should be an easy ball for you to block. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if it's, you know, practice being aggressive, taking those like dive moves when you need to, when your, your defense isn't set up and that middle's not, not going to close to you, but, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I think, I mean, they're, they're athletic, obviously they're physical. I think they have the capability to be a really good blocking team. Um, So it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. So I think that's the hard part. It's communicating, yeah. um, you know, it's being in the right spots. And then at the end of the day, it's wanting to get a stuff block and get your hands over and, you know, tilt your hands down maybe a little bit more. Maybe they're more like flat right now. They're getting, you know, a lot of teams that they've played, especially I thought Rice was able to get, a lot of balls off their blocks, you know, their hands. I thought maybe we're more flat, whereas they maybe kind of pressed like downwardly a little bit more. So that ball hits the ground a little bit faster and makes it harder to get yep. um for the opposing team. But yeah, all the fun blocking things. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like most things with volleyball is there's not a simple answer to it. Um, but I like that. <laughs> I like how you broke that down there. Cause I think there, I think it is multifaceted and I mean, obviously, but I also think it's again, I think they're I think it's not that far off. So it's just something we'll have to watch going forward because I think the other thing is the thing that stands out to me is like for for them to struggle so much blocking, they're really good defensively. So, I mean, and and we, we talked about last year when they had, you know, just probably the best defensive year they've ever had, you know, how it all kind of connects from the service line on like how you serve um, determines what kind of ball is coming back at you, whether it's in system or out of system off the net or, you know, one with three options where you're kind of guessing at that point as a as a front row player, and then the other thing is their coverage is really good. Like, you know, I think, yeah, I think they had 57 digs against Georgetown. Like in a three setter, that's pretty good when you think about like, you know, Georgetown's kill numbers and and how Creighton was able to hold them to 061 hitting. It was all basically defense and coverage because they didn't. I mean, they only had I think three ace blocks, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's 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 things to like about Creighton's defense. So I guess the question is like, when you try to when we're trying to, I guess figure out what they're capable of as like what's what's Creighton's a game look like? Um, You know how important is the blocking aspect going to be to it, considering the other components are already. Pretty sharp for the most part, the serving, the coverage, the passing you know, everything that kind of feeds into the transition offense. Um, you know, how important is the blocking aspect to all of it to being a great defense? Like, is that the because it's the first line of defense? Is that the most important, or do they kind of all have the same level of value?
1: I mean, I think it's a critical. I don't know if I want to say most critical part of defense. I feel like it builds the base of your defense, right? I mean, because you are whatever area your blocker is taking up, you as a defender should be in the other area, you know, that the hitter's most right. likely to hit. So from that standpoint, um, you know, like if the left pin blocker is there in the middle closes to their right side and they're stealing line, like they're at the antenna, they leave this girl no line because she loves to hit line, then that left um defender in the back row um, usually a little barrel, might cheat up and get a tip because she's likely to tip over the block and that sort of thing or she'll shade in and then that line has nobody behind there to right. dig so I think from that standpoint I mean it's critical for setting up your defense and um for how bad they've been at blocking I mean they've been decent I guess but in terms of brain, flat, I guess like flat
0: out said it, huh? it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well they've been they haven't been doing well blocking yeah no you're
0: I, hey that's, I think you're being fair go ahead.
1: But, I mean, it's impressive how good their defense has been. I think yeah. um, some teams, I think Georgetown had a few hitters that are, like, powerful. But I think as you go down the road, there's going to be a lot more teams that have a lot more power behind a lot of Yeah, that's so kind of what that's I mean, the hard right.
0: Part. Yeah.
1: So, I, mean. I think that's the thing. And then also, like, looking at Georgetown, I don't know, you know, how many swings they got over. I'm at the end of the day that were, like, nice and powerful and – Blockable, so I think maybe that skews the blocking numbers a little bit too. I mean, they had some good swings, but they were out of sorts for a lot of that game. So it kind of yeah, it's like, like hard. It's it's
0: probably hard to block the ball when the when the thing's coming at you from the back row, right? Like that's not really something you yeah. can get a good touch on, yeah.
1: Or like off speed. A lot. I mean, a lot of those things like off speed, you might not even block. You know, yeah, some of those are yeah. like okay, like this girl's not just, like gonna hit it that hard. It's probably worse for me to go up there and block it because I'm probably gonna deflect it, <laughs> But mm-hmm. it's probably yeah. just, you know. When right. our defense could just dig it easily. Exactly. So it's that sort of thing, I think, that – but, you know, when you go to play the Marquettes where they have three powerful options and it's going to be a really hard-driven dig if we don't get touches on it, block touches or an ace block, I think those are the times that it makes you kind of worry that your block maybe isn't as strong as it has been traditionally.
0: Yeah, the, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that. up I, uh, I think that's what we're getting at here is, like, it's not – I don't think Creighton's blocking numbers are a concern against, like, Georgetown and Villanova this weekend, right? Or even teams that have, you know, that aren't going to pass well and that are going to be out of system constantly where they're just going to be basically be sending, you know, a free ball from, like, the corner sideline of zone four and you can easily pass a three out of that and just put it down the throat. So, like, yeah, I think that's a really good point you're making there about the differences in... When it's going to be a concern versus when it's kind of not really going to jump off the page at you. It's like you go back through matches from years past, and it's not like, you know, some of your best blocking numbers, even back when you were a player, came against the teams that were more physical. And I think that's just because you knew that if you didn't get, you know, if you didn't create a physical presence at the net defensively, your back row players were just going to be pelted all night. So I think it's a really good point you're bringing up there about when. Um, this, you know, when they need to be leveling up in terms of their blocking, obviously, it has to happen consistently because you don't want to just try try to rely on it when a big physical athletic team is in your gym. Um, but it's also worth noting that, you know, Creighton is doing other things to get teams out of sorts, and maybe looking at the ace block numbers in a matchup like they had this weekend isn't totally. 100% One hundred percent indicative of the level that they're blocking at, because, like you said, there <laughs> there is not a lot of point to trying to set up four hands at the net when the you know outside is getting a really predictable bump set, um, five six feet off the net and basically throwing it over the other side. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think that's a big important. I think that's an important point that you're bringing up in terms of the differences of you know when Creighton should look to be have a physical presence at the net versus when they should just try to, you know, make sure their defense is kind of locked in from a from a reading and passing standpoint, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it I mean it's easier to like to get an ace block that you know goes straight down and that sort of thing. The hitter has to hit it with some velocity. So for sure. I think yeah. you know the teams at times the teams that they played this weekend, it was more of like a roll shot like Villanova today roll-shotted a lot deep um, in, like, the donut area and scored multiple times. Like, those types of balls, not meant to be blocked, right? But you're blocked mm-hmm. there, and then your defense was supposed to move around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it, it'll be interesting to see when when they do face a team with firepower. power. Um, the thing I think maybe that's, like, more concerning is that they, they faced some teams early in the season, and their blocking numbers weren't really where they wanted them to be. So I think as they work into it, they'll have opponents um, that'll probably – challenge their block a little bit more and then they'll have some opponents um obviously that maybe won't as much.
0: Sure, 100%. Uh let's dig into some individual uh performance some standout performers from the weekend. And I think I want to start with Ava Martin because I don't know. I just think she kind of like caught me off guard this weekend because she didn't play that first set on Friday and then she comes in in the second set and goes 6 for 6 like whoa, you know, and it just, I don't know, it speaks to what we already talked about about everybody on the the bench. Like, they were locked in this week, and they were ready to go, and I think Ava is someone who personified that the most of anyone this weekend. I mean, 21 kills on 34 swings. She hit 441 for an outside. Like, I mean, I thought she had a really impressive weekend. I think one that kind of can boost her a little bit. I mean, I don't know how much she's... She's kinda like, you know, she, she's a wide eyed freshman right now. She doesn't know Georgetown from from Marquette. Like it's all new to her, right? So, you know, she doesn't know that when Georgetown's in the gym, it's it's 3 0 or it's or it's danger zone time. Like, you know, to her it's a big match because it's the first time she's experienced all these things. So I think for her to play that well, I think that's pretty I think that's pretty key for Creighton because it just gives you another option, you know, one that you you know, you call her number if someone's off, like Like we saw against Rice, like when Rice was keying on Nora and she wasn't she wasn't terminating at a high clip. You just call someone else's number. At that time it was Jazz. Um, this weekend it was, you know, Ava, just having those kids ready to go. Like it's big, right?
1: Yeah, it's big. And I think I mean that's a product of just the competition for those those positions. I think, you know, you got you gotta be ready and she got her chance to come in and make an impact and after not getting the start. And then, I mean, she took it. And then today she got to start. So mm-hmm. I think it's those, those types of things that can create some really good um, things on the court, um, just that competition and um, wanted to earn that spot. I thought, um, and yeah, today she did a really nice job as well. So I think she's just doing a little bit of everything they ever swinging on the outside, the right side, some, um, so I think she's just a versatile um, pin hitter. So they feel really comfortable putting her in there. And um, I think it's impressive that she's put herself in that position, uh, you know, so the coaches trust her and um, she she gets a lot of attempts when she's in there as well.
0: Yeah. And she's got, she's got a powerful arm too. I mean, she is a really athletic kid. Like she gets up off the floor. I mean, honestly her and Nora probably get up, up off the floor about the same. Like they, they are really athletic. Uh, they are really explosive leapers and they put, Heck of, I mean, there's some velocity behind their their swings. I think the interesting thing today, and they, and uh Kirsten talked about it, and Ava talked about it in the post game, post match press conference, was the adjustment to figuring out how to get kills at this level. And I and obviously you know what that takes. So take me through what the transition is like from high school to Division One in terms of like, ju- I know it's a simple question but like how to put the ball down So i think one of the things is like normally if you're a powerful athletic you know outsider middle like you can just pump that thing at hands and maybe throughout if you're if you're playing high school teams that are club teams that don't have d1s defending you that thing's going down right but when you're at the d1 level a lot of the time you just like start firing the ball at the hands it's probably coming back at your face like so, take me through what what that transition is like that that kind of that shock moment where you're like, "All right, hitting kills at this level requires a little bit of savvy and a little bit of intelligence uh, a little bit different techniques than just going up there and swinging as hard as I can at whatever's in front of me,
1: <laughs> yeah, um. Yeah, swinging hard. I would say, like I was somebody too that, like even in high school or whatever, like you could swing hard and they shank it, or you know, it'd be a kill and that sort of thing. So I think when yeah. you come in, um, the block is just so much bigger and the people across the net are a lot more athletic, so they're making a lot more athletic moves, um, on that block to try to get touches and get ace blocks and that sort of thing. So yeah, if you're just swinging hard into a big block, that ball's coming back really fast at you. Um, so I think a lot of it. I mean, we've talked about it before, it just changing it up and you, maybe you're swinging hard for five swings or something and all of a sudden you slow it down you drop a tip in um, or you go high hands and that sort of thing so their defense is you know maybe on their heels a little bit more dug in for that really hard driven ball and then oh all of a sudden let me just throw a little roll shot in there and you know no one's there so mm. just that sort of thing and um I think going up too and swinging high I don't think you can you can do much wrong when you swing high you know even if you swing high and deep I think you're going to be in a good position as far as maybe getting a block touch um, or having that ball land deep in the core. Um, Otherwise it's the angles, I think, go up and, you know, you turn your hand and you go thumb up or you go thumb down and you're hitting line and then you're hitting cross and you're rolling it. Like there's just so many shots that you can do. Um, So I think that's a part of it where maybe you have to think a little bit more and you have to try to see that block. So I think getting used to seeing that big block in front of you and, Um, Getting really savvy about what you can do as far as throwing it off of people or dropping it over or you know using a hand that sort of thing. Um, That's probably the biggest adjustment. Seeing that block and knowing where defenses will shift on you and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that's 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 going to be interesting to watch with Ava is when she starts to figure out how to manipulate blockers. I think right now, I think I think right now, and I think for a large part of the early part of her career, it's going to be about explosiveness and power. You know, because I think she. That's what she's really good at. So I think she's going to be trying to sharpen that high hands mentality. You know what I mean? That we've talked about a lot, but like, um, you know, the, I don't, I don't know how much trickeration she's going to have in her shots right now, but she's still trying to figure out that part of it. So I think it's going to be a process. I'm curious though, a little bit about the technical aspect of how much changes in your approach and your arm angle. And your velocity when you're going after high hands versus when you're just, when you kind of see a seam and you try to hit the seam, is there a lot of difference? I know it's probably tough to emulate on a podcast for audio people, but um, <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I don't know when, like, what the, what the, what the major difference is between high hands versus like when you see a seam on, you know, and then you just go cross court corner and kind of bury it. Like, what's the difference there? And is it a big one?
1: yeah i think um a lot more of hitting high hands is like keeping the ball flat so you almost finish with your hand sort of like you would like serve where you would like freeze your hand right but i mean you maybe put a little bit of topspin on it but you more just like stop your swing so you're not putting all that topspin on top of it so you're just grabbing a few fingers as that ball flies deep and i mean that's the point of it that you know have it go over the defense's head and there's just no chance that they can get it um so I think from that, like going long and then um, it's kind of the same sort of thing, like using a blocker to the, to the side as well. You want to swing high and then, but on the pins, you're going to want to like turn your thumb. So if you're, if you're a right side, you take your, um, you know, usual approach. And I think that's the thing about it. You got to take that powerful approach no matter what. And sometimes that's the hard part too, I think for younger players, like they have it in their mind, like, oh, they told me this box open for a tip, right? Like maybe a coach or a teammate's like, hey, like they're way back on you. You can just drop one in. And they're just like, I'm going to tip. I'm going to tip. I'm going to tip, right? Like they just know that's what they're going to do. And then they take maybe not as strong of an approach or maybe they, you know, they're not doing their full, like pull my arm back, ready to swing really hard on this ball. But instead they're just like, okay, I'm ready to tip it, you know? Um, So I think that part of it, just taking your same approach, Going to look up like you're going to swing really hard um, to tip it. And then, you know, if you're going to use hands on the side, you're either dropping your thumb down if you're on the right side or you're going thumb up to use the side of the block and kind of wipe it off the block and have it go like into the stands um, to the side.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. What are your favorites? Do you like, which ones do you like the most? Do you like when you go off hands into the, like over the defense or do you like off hands into the stands? Like which one?
1: Into which the one stands. Sure. the stands okay yeah it's it's way better the point gets over faster
0: <laughs> oh i see what you're saying i see what you're saying so you're not you're not a fan of like the mad scramble as funny as that is to watch when they're heading that well direction. i guess
1: i don't know if i was as good at it i don't think i was as good at like flying high off hands i was a lot better at like using hands to the side okay. i feel like on the right side like i was just a lot better just be like okay like, I hit it off you, and you can't get it, you know? The, There's just a the shorter distance. Statement. And the courts, like, it's short on that side as well. Like, they have immediate yeah. controls and all that stuff. So they're either, like, flying into a computer or doing something over the side, or they just can't get the ball. So Gotcha.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Keely Davis, we talked about her a lot, but I don't know. She just keeps doing her thing. Um, she hit 438 this weekend, which, again, that's, that's absurd for someone who's in the match as long as she is and doing all she does. And again, she average over three digs per set, which I mean, we're getting to the point where I'm just like kind of blown away by the level she's carrying right now, because it's not, I don't know if she's had a bad one yet. Like, and I think that might be, I think this might be the most sustained, consistent, multifaceted, like when you talk about defense, offense, passing, serving um, success that she's had in her entire career, which. Is cool to see at some at, at um, on one side of things, but it's also like, you know, really of some praise because dang, she's she's bringing it night in night out, regardless of who they're playing. I mean, like we talked about in the Nebraska reaction, like she called out Nebraska in the preseason and then just sh- and then showed up with her a game ready to like, like you're not gonna make me eat those words. I'm gonna I'm gonna back them up. Like, so I think it's just really impressive the season she's putting together right now. And once again, another strong weekend from her, 16 kills, only two errors all weekend. Um, and then averaging over three days per set. I mean, she had a, she had 10 digs in both matches. Really impressive stuff from Keeley, right? Yeah, I'm just
1: looking at it today. And, yeah, eight kills, hit 571, had four assists in there, um, yeah. three block assists and 10 digs. You know, just kind of touched all aspects of the game, um, mm-hmm. which is really impressive. And yeah, she made no errors today too, hitting. That's just, so that's crazy. It's great. I mean, that's crazy impressive. And obviously, she's in there the entire time. So I think just to have her be that involved and to be really efficient offensively as well, um, is impressive.
0: Especially because she's getting a lot of the, like she's a she's a she's a top option for Kendra when there's something on of system, or even Allison when she has to bump set it right. Allison Witten, like she's not always getting the best balls to terminate and to be error free on the day and then two for the whole weekend when those, you know, when you're getting, I'm sure, yeah, you're getting some that are in system, right? Um, but as someone who plays the six rotations, it has to constantly be kind of approaching the net and always ready to be up um as an offensive option. Like to only have two errors when you're getting all sorts of kinds of sets, whether in system or out of system. I mean, it's just impressive the level she's terminating at right now, especially this weekend. Like, I'm crazy yeah. impressed
1: by it. It's crazy. And, I mean, she today she was in that right side slot, technically opposite of Kendra. And then yep. she was playing two rotations on the right side and one on the outside. And um, Martin was two on the outside, one on the right side, or, you know, however they wanted to flip it when they were both up there together. So. I think those two are just doing really impressive things and to have the ability to kind of interchange them, you know, for whatever matchup maybe they have across the net from them, I think is important and it's just beneficial when you have those people that can, you know, play really well at both pins. Cause that doesn't always happen.
0: Yeah. 100%. Um, Team wise, we talked about the serving a little bit. Um, the 17 aces and nine errors in two days. That's, that's pretty good stuff. And seven eight seven seven different players with an ace um I don't know I, you know it kind of it's it's interesting because I think teams start to form identities at this point because I think you start to figure out who who you are what you're good at, what you're not good at and then it's like then you start to like have these conversations when you're watching film or when you're in practice because you' you know for every match you've practice what two to three times for that so the multiply 13 matches times, Two to three practice sessions per outing. Um, and then add in all your preseason work, right? So you've seen there's a big body of, although statistically it's a small sample size, there's a big body of work that the coaches have analyzed that the players know about. So you kind of like, I mean, by the time you get to this point, you kind of know who you are a little bit. You know what you're good at, you know what you're not good at, you know what you need to get better at. But there's also at some point you kind of figure out like, all right maybe we're just not going to be strong in these certain areas. We have to accentuate others to, you know, be able to stay at this level because we have to be, we have to cover things up. You know what I'm saying? So I think from a serving standpoint, I think that's something that's part of Creighton's identity for this particular team, especially. I think they have um, several strong, aggressive servers who are confident Behind the line at this stage of the season, right now, and I think that's, I think it's really good to have because, while they work on some other things that they think they need to be better at, having that as kind of a foundational piece, I think can at least allow them to play well and have success while they iron other things out, right? Because you know, the serve and pass, like Kirsten says, that inner sleep, like that's a really important component of the game, and if you're serving and passing well, that can kind of carry you through some some days where you feel like they're still not you're still not quite at your best, don't you think?
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's why it'll be interesting to see, I think, those blocking numbers. You would just think that they would continue to climb just because of how good they are behind the service line. You know, how mm-hmm. we talked about them getting people out of system. Then their blockers can really know, okay, who's, who's our primary option? What move are we going to make? You know, it just relaxes the blockers a little bit because maybe not every option is available to you. So you can make those big moves and have a really solid block set up. So I think from that standpoint, I think that's something that can really build and help them blocking Mm -hmm. wise. And so I don't, you know, I don't think there's any reason that we wouldn't see that those blocking numbers continue to go up. Yeah.
0: Let's uh, shout out Ellie Bolton real quick. Uh, I feel like she's not a player who gets a lot of love, but I think she kind of deserves it a little bit here. I mean, five aces on the weekend. Only two errors uh, for the season. She's quietly up to 18 aces and only 11 service errors. That disparity right there is the best on the team. So I don't know. I don't I don't know if I knew or if you were to tell me what are some things that you're going to, like, I'm trying to think of the word, just like some picks to click, if you will, for creating this season. Like, who are you? Who are you? Who are your reliable? Like you know what they're gonna bring you on a night in, night out basis. I don't know if I would have thought about Ellie's um, impact, but I think she's had a clear one, and I think it's and like we just we just got done talking about how important it is. I think she brings a pretty important role to this team now because of how well she's serving, and you look at you know the scoring runs that she her, that the team went on. In the first weekend of the season. And it kind of like told you there is like, that's where that was notable, right? Like the team, you know, was able to change matches, change games within a match um, when Ellie was behind the line. And I think she's, you know, although she hasn't had a primary back row assignment yet, because Sky McCune and, you know, until today, Sky McCune had started all the matches along with Allison Witten. And then you have your two six rotations in, in Keely and Nora. Right. So, and then obviously Kendra handles the rest of it. So there wasn't a whole lot of space for her to get out there and play a bunch. Um, But, you know, I, I don't know. I just think her serving is a really important part of why this team has been, why this team's 10 and three right now. And, you know, when you look at the, I think that I think the stats are starting to back that up a little bit. Cause like you said, sometimes in the serving part of the game, it's not always about the aces. It's just about how much you're getting teams out of system. Because the more you're getting a team out of system, the more likely you're going to get an easy ball to pass, set, and kill. Um, so I think Ellie's a big part of Creighton uh, being really dangerous from the service line. And I think the players on her team have a lot of confidence when she's behind the line. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think she's she's kind of found that role either as a serving specialist or like you said, I mean, today she was in there um serving um and as a DS role. Um but yeah, I think the the most impressive thing is the runs that they go on when she's serving. I think you sometimes you're like, "Oh, she's still serving." Like she's still back there serving and those are the players that you're like, "She's somebody I want on my side of the net," right? You know, going on runs for multiple points and um she plays really great defense when she's in there um too so i think i mean to have a ds play that role and then be able to continue points defensively as well and then put a really good serve over in the net um is something that's really important and um yeah a role that you know people i had people had when i played but yeah just don't get as much credit probably as they should um just for the amount of runs that they allow teams to go on um just because it's not maybe always the most flashy part of the game um but it's super important, um, like we've talked about, for blocking and defense um, and being able to transition, um, get a good swing.
0: That's uh, Yeah, you mentioned, like, they're the being caught off guard by, you know, what you're watching, then you see who's behind the line. Oh, yeah, she's still she's still the one initiating this whole thing. It, do you scout that? Like, is there a team thinking when they come in to play Creighton, excuse me, and they think, like, oh, there's no Got to worry about all the things she can do. There's Keeley Davis, gotta worry about all the things she can do. Oh, yeah. There's uh Kendra Waite. She's a dangerous setter and aggressive looking for her own number, uh, all over the court type of player. Keanu Schmidt, money on the slide. Yara Reinhardt getting really good at the slide, a dangerous, powerful uh middle blocker. Uh Nora and Keeley are dangerous from the back row. Nora, especially. And then, oh, Ava Martin. Here's Ava Martin, who uh you know, is a really athletic, powerful freshman that we have to worry about when they call her number. Uh, You look at Jazz Schmidt, what she did against Rice, and you think, okay, Rice is a really quality side. Um, Jazz is obviously capable of some dangerous things. So, like, where's Ellie on the scouting report? Like, do do teams think about that? Because I feel like that's kind of where she has a sneaky, uh, meaningful impact is, like, maybe in the Big East because there's so much concern being – so much attention being paid to other players that, you know, have a bigger impact on the stat sheet, you know, Ellie kind of just comes in with a smile on her face, grabs the ball behind the line, locks in, and, and this teams out of system one after the other.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that I feel like you'd, you'd mention in scout, right. You'd be like, she's a strong server. You know, they go on many runs. It's one of those types of things. Like which rotation is creating strongest in, you know, if you're, if you're scouting against them and, um, for them right now, that's probably one of the strongest rotations. I mean, she's able to go on those runs, and I think it's something that you consciously talk about if you're a team that's going to play crane because you want to get out of that as, as soon as yeah. possible, right? You're like, let's get a first ball kill, let's side out automatically, and not let her go on a run because they just have tendencies to be able to rack up points. So, definitely something to be conscious of, and um, something that they should be talking about if they're not talking about when you're playing crane
0: for sure. All right, let's look ahead to next. Uh... Not weekend, getting weird again. I was it was so close to staggering into a normal routine. And now here we are back with midweek matches. Yeah. Um, but this is an exciting one because uh, the other half of this podcast is going to be making her television, I guess it's television, right? What's on your view and flow sports that kind of TV?
1: It's, what, I mean, um, it's like
0: streaming something, I don't know. It's all TV nowadays, right? Yeah,
1: it's all streamed on something.
0: Yeah, I watch Flow Sports on my internet TV, so I think it counts as TV. So,
1: yeah.
0: all right. So we're gonna say Megan Ballinger is gonna make her TV debut this week. Um, so you're calling both the Xavier and the Butler matches, right, back to back? Okay. Yeah. All right. So let us know. We're, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let Megan have the floor here. Like Xavier, is, <laughs> sorry, she's like, no, I need don't. to prepare. I
1: haven't prepared. <laughs> hey,
0: just kidding. Xavier and Butler, though, historically are you know. I think they've always been interesting squads. Like Xavier is really I think they're both kind of really creative offensively. I think they I mean Butler is more, I guess you would expect them to be better on the defensive side of things. Normally when Creighton and Butler play, it's like, you know, whoever's hitting one fifty has probably got a got the leg up in the match, basically. That's kind of how I remember it. And I know they have a hell of a libero back there. So, you know, it's gonna be a priority for Creighton to kind of avoid her and go away from her. Which is funny because no one usually thinks about that, right? You think about your libero as just kind of a defensive anchor who can fly all over the place. But, you know, as a hitter, you're thinking, I don't want the ball anywhere near her because that usually leads to them being in system, right? So Creighton will obviously have to focus on staying away from her. And then yeah. Xavier being tricky offensively, you know. I think, it, I think it'll be an interesting match to watch from a blocking standpoint for Creighton, right? Because you know Xavier's going to have a lot of options. They're going to run. Um, some unortho- unorthodox things. Uh, so this might be a match where it might be worth kind of watching to see where Creighton's at blocking wise because they might need to be, you know, in that 9, 10, 11 ace blocking range to be um, to have some success against Xavier, right?
1: Yeah, I think Xavier is a team that will challenge you communication-wise blocking, Mm. I think. And I I think that's the hardest part. I think you almost have to over-communicate. And I remember, you know, doing scouts before playing them and them just emphasizing, you know, the coaching staff emphasizing, like, okay, we we really need to communicate, like, who do you have? Where's your hitter? Because a lot of times they'll run some just different, different hits, kind of, I guess. They kind of, like, sneak away and they come back into the picture and you're like, oh. There is my middle, you know, so if you lose track of her <laughs> and you lose track of, you know, your hitter, I think that can create some chaos for the blockers. Um, so mm-hmm. just communicating, I think, and um, hopefully getting some touches if they're you typically run a little bit of good tempo, I feel like. So getting touches on the blocks and um, just figuring out where your hitters are and putting up a big block. Hopefully, hopefully we can see them to continue to get better at blocking.
0: Gotcha. And then. Tell me what the Butler aspect is. Like, how do you stay away from libero? Like, I know that's very, <laughs> it's strange to say, cause she's like, she's going no, after no. the ball. Yeah. Like what's, what's the important, when you know that there's a really strong libero on the other side of the net, like how important is it to avoid her? Cause like, is it, I mean, cause you, you imagine that it's not just about getting the ball up for her, that she gets them in system a lot. She's likely their best passer. Right.
1: Yeah, probably. So, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who Creighton goes at and serve receive. I would assume they would try to keep the ball away from her as much as possible, even, you know, if she's trying to jump in front of people and that sort of thing. But um, that's another thing that can kind of create chaos if you're going hard at somebody else and she's trying to get in there and pass balls. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, defensively, I think, I mean, you want to get it to right back and middle back as much as you can. Um and honestly, I think that's something that works all the time. You know, if you can get it to right back, typically, if it's the setter back there, they're going to have to put up a bump set to one of the pins, and then you can set up your block. Um, so I don't think you can do bad things hitting it to right back with that setter back there. And um, yeah, just middle back, right back, making those two cross kind of in the back, I think is somewhere that crate could probably exploit.
0: You probably don't want to like, what, how how the dive, does the dive bomb serve kind of go out the window until you're, in the match and you kind of see how they're lining up and things like that. Cause I mean, the dive bomb serve is a good little off speed thing that you can drop in there for a, you know, a sneaky little ACE or an out of system ball, but with a strong libero, you have to imagine she's going to be kind of ready for that. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, most likely. I mean, it'll be interesting to see that sort of thing too, can create chaos if you're dropping it in the right spot or there's hitters running across and that sort of thing. If people are stacked on the left side and trying to, run across or somebody's trying to run behind for a slide and that sort of thing. Then you have your passer, maybe falling or something. And then your, your hitters are trying to like get around her and that sort of thing. So sometimes when you drop those in, you might not be going for an ace completely, but you might just be trying to get them a little bit out of system or um, create some chaos over there for their hitters and um, setter trying to find who's available. Um, but yeah, we'll see what they do. They might, you know, drive deep and I'm sure if you know butler adjusts. you know to go deeper and then oh you know let's let's go up and then okay let's surf them deep again that sort of thing so you just kind of play with the passers and (laughs) make them move a lot i think is the best thing you can do
0: gotcha yeah the uh the dive bomb is also a sneaky good um card to play when you just want to like create an overpass right because those are the ones that usually like a back row player is going to lay out for and the pass is probably going to be like a little bit tight to the net, so you're probably going to have a chance to kind of put that thing down or with a joust ball, right? So, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Creighton decides to attack, especially Butler's defense, because I feel like Butler is really really hangs their hat on that. Like I said, I think historically the matches between Butler and Creighton are kind of rock fights. Like, you know, I don't I don't know if you're going to see some sexy hitting percentages in that match. It just I don't. It just never really happens, you know. I think that you're going to see some creative offensive things against Xavier from both sides, from both Creighton and Xavier. And then against Butler, I think it's going to be about, you know, just kind of hanging in there, long points, long rallies, um, block setup, serving, uh, passing. Those are going to be really important in the Butler matchup, I think, for me. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. But, yeah, that's Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. at DJ Sokol Arena. Creighton will take on Xavier. Uh, that's on your view. And Friday night, quick turnaround again. But um, that'll be 6 30 p.m. September 30th on Friday at DJ Sokol Arena against Butler. That'll be on Flow Sports. So check those both out. Make sure you got your, if you're not going to be in the arena, make sure you're lined up from a viewing perspective so you can listen to uh, Megan's expertise that she gives you on this podcast. But she'll be doing it for about what 90 minutes plus straight this time. So, and, and I won't be so- talking. So I won't be interrupting her. It'll be all, it'll be Megan's show. So hopefully she doesn't have a play by- play person that interrupts her as much as I do so anyway, are you excited <laughs> for that how how pumped are you to have your uh have your analysis on, uh,
1: on uh, yeah, I'm excited TV. we'll see I mean I've never done it so I'm kind of kind of nervous but are you I mean, really well, I don't know I just I don't know I guess I need to do my my homework on both teams I think a little bit more and everything but yeah, we'll see <laughs> I,
0: I, have, I have no doubt based on your history that when in the first serve happens you'll be locked in so um, yeah check that all out it'll be fun um, so yeah anything you got anything else to on your mind from this weekend or did you empty the tank
1: no I think we're good let's see some good blocking see some good defense I think those are the things probably you know to key in on that defense has been there but let's see if that block can come alive a little bit because um, I think these teams will be a little bit more powerful so maybe some more ace sure. blocks
0: sounds good that's all for us, everybody. Thank you always, as always, for tuning in. For Megan Ballinger, I'm Matt DeMarinis. This has been your Creighton Volleyball Wrap Up Podcast. We will talk to you next weekend. Have a good week, everyone.